I, I get a chance to plug in and talk about uh, a series, I guess you've been on, about God's great plan. And I get the great responsibility this morning to talk about growing up. This is not an honorable picture. This isn't children's church, but that's more in the main church. And we do not want to be children when it comes to maturity. It's great to be a child when you're of a childlike age. But as you grow up, God, there's a creation design of God that we're all to grow up. And growing up is not just, biblically speaking, is not just getting older. It's maturing in Christ. You say amen to that. Now, I'm from America, so we like to say amen or yes. If you disagree with something, just so we understand sign language, do this. That means I know you're disagreeing. If you're agreeing, at least maybe shake your head or something like that. But we need to grow up. God's great plan in the book of Ephesians. So if we can start... You've been doing a series on this. I'll just give you a brief recap of the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books that's changed. God used it to change my life. Just a quick background of myself and my wife. Uh, I'm, my wife and I have been married 39 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have four children, four wonderful daughters who are all married. We have eight grandchildren. So we have been around the family factory, all right? And it's a great joy. I'm, I'm, pro, I'm, I'm a wonderful parent, but if, if you have children, my grandchildren, I can be a little ornery, just so you know. We talk about growing up. I'm helping our grandchildren now grow up, and I'll do on, ornery. Is that word okay? I do ornery things like when I see their parent talking to them and correcting them, I say, your mom never had to do that. <laughs> You have to go to bed now. Your mom used to stay, and my, you know, my kids are, Dad, leave. We're, so that's me. I'm the grandparent you probably didn't want. But we've been, we've been married for um, 39 years, four children, and I, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a secular environment. My wife was raised in a Christian home, and I, I got converted when I was 20 years old, and it was just before we met, and I'm so thankful that I began to follow Christ before we met, and we came together in Jesus. And I'm, I'm, how many of you know that's, that's the best way to live? He knows about marriage. He knows how marriage works, all right? But the book of Ephesians, as we look into this growing up and maturing in Christ, God's glorious calling and design for His church, a main component of that is growth and maturity. Now, when you look at the background of the book of Ephesians, we find that this was the church Paul spent the majority of time planting. He spent three years there. The other churches, he didn't spend as long. He spent three years with this church, so it had a special place in his heart and his his, uh, intention for it. It was a premier church, we know. And by the way, the book of Ephesians is the church that has the most time that you see different writings given to it. And it's amazing. It's an amazing story. I love the book of Ephesians. But what you find is when Paul is on his way to Rome and he's getting ready to go to prison for the first time, he pulls the elders of Ephesians and meets with them on, at Miletus. And he says some interesting things to them that kind of give you an idea. I, I have parts of the scriptures up, but I'll read uh, more of the, than what will be on the screen. He said, You yourself know that from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. And he goes on and starts talking about what he was doing there and how three years he was with them, night and day, encouraging them, even with tears, he talks about. I mean, he loved this church. And so what happened, I I find this very interesting as he met with these elders. He said, now, 
He, he got a prophetic inclination. How many of you know some prophecy can be good and some can be challenging? He had a little bit of a challenging inclination. Here he is meeting with the elders. We'll just say it's these first two rows there. And he says, hey guys, after my departure, I'm going, there's going to be ravenous wolves coming into the church and not sparing the flock. And he said, some from among you are going to rise up and try to lead people away and lead them astray. Now, how many of you would like that if you were the eldership group there? I would have thought, it's got to be him. Can't be me. I'm perfect. But I thought that would be interesting. I wonder if they had that dialogue after Paul left. But then what happened is he goes to Rome. He ends up uh, being arrested. And while he is in prison, he begins to hear reports that the very thing he said was going to happen began to happen. The church began to drift off track. And so, as he told them before this happened, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Those three years he was there, he poured the abundance of his revelation out. He, he used the word mystery in that letter, I think, six times. And it was the mystery of God's great glorious plan. And so when he was in prison, he heard some of the departure was starting to happen. And the church was starting to drift away. So what he did is he, he wrote a letter from prison, which is the letter to the, of the book of Ephesians. And this letter was a reminder of God's great purpose that he had explained to Paul and Paul had explained to them. And he was writing it to a church that was drifting away from that purpose. Okay, does this make sense to you? And so what you find in this letter, it's like a complete revelation of probably all that Paul had taught them for those three years that he was with. He was trying to remind them and bring them back to what what he had uh, unfolded to them when he lived with them and taught them during those times. Now the book, very quickly, it's, it's, it's kind of broken down. I'm just giving you a little overview before we get to the heart of it. Chapters one through three are phenomenal. Paul takes you up, and you've been, I guess you've been doing that series, to this great, glorious, eternal plan of God that had been revealed to them. I, I love those first three chapters. It's like the height of God's great purpose and intention. And he, and he talks about that. Chapter 1, he, he prays for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would understand the great, uh, the, the great hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance in Christ, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. He has this wonderful prayer in chapter 1. And, and he comes down at, towards the... I'm just going to give you highlights here. He comes down at the end of chapter 1, and he, he talks about how God has given Christ his head over all things to the church. And he says this about the church. It's his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I love how the message Bible paraphrases this. He, in, in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, at the center of everything in God, he rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And then he makes this statement, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks, and which he acts, and in which he fills everything with his presence. That's the call upon the church. It, it, it kind of ties into the prophetic thing we see in the Old Testament. Several times God talks about, I'm going to fill the earth with my glory, like the waters cover the sea. Well, in this revelation of the mystery, Paul says, through churches, through the families of God that are gathered together in him, he said, this fullness of God is going to fill all in all. We're Christ's body. How many of you know you fill your spaces through your body? 
Whether you like it, don't like it, you're trying to improve it, nevertheless, your body is what carries your life around. How many of you spent more than 15 minutes looking at your body this morning getting it ready? (laughs) The rest of you, shame on you because your body carries your life. You don't want your body to, 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 um, sorry, I'm going to get all, but how many of you have ever been around someone and they have a part of their body that they're not aware of? that doesn't look so good. I, one time I was in a line at the airport and a guy had toilet paper, a nice business suit, but he had a little bit of toilet paper he didn't know he had. And I thought, this guy has no, how many of you, I, I didn't say anything because I, I didn't want to be upset. I probably should have, but you know, you, sometimes you're talking to people and they have a little thing in the corner of their mouth or something. It's like, what does that do to you? They've got this wonderful life in them, but because something in their body is not coming through well, how many of you know it can, it can be a problem receiving the life? But that's the way Jesus is with his body. We're his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's concerned about his body, that we become great carriers of his life as he dwells within us. And then he gets into chapter 2 and he talks about this wonderful thing. We're delivered in Christ. We're free from our trespasses and sins. And then he comes on down and starts describing mystery. He said, now there's no longer Jews or Gentiles, but Christ has broke down barriers and dividing walls and he's brought you together and made one new man. And then at the end of chapter 2, he, he talks about you're built on Christ, you're built together as one, it, with one another, and are of God's household. Don't you love that? We're the family of God that's being built together for His purpose. And then we come into chapter 3, and he's, I'm, I'm getting to my assignment this morning. We come into chapter 3, and he starts talking further about this mystery. And he talks about this is how the mystery is being revealed into the earth. He said the specifics of it. And then he starts talking about, he, he, he comes into the idea of our relationship together. He says that the many-sided wisdom of God would be made known through the church to rulers and authorities and heavenly places. And then he makes this statement, this is in accordance with his eternal purpose, his purpose for the ages. Now, I get very charged up about the church because I don't think, I don't see the church as something as a sideline. I think it's center stage to what God is wanting to do in the earth. Anybody here like that? Okay. I think that's very biblical. So he says, through the church, the many-sided wisdom of God would be made known. This is in accordance with his plan for the ages. And then a couple verses later, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its identity. Talking about the house of God the people of God. And he comes into the end of chapter three and he talks about, ah, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. God wants to fill the earth with his glory through his family called the church gathered with in, in little families, individual families. We call them local churches. Don't say that the local church is some kind of an extra thing. No, it's center stage. It's central to the purpose and plans of God. Hello? So we have this great eternal perspective in chapter 1 through 3. But then he comes to chapter 4. And this is where sometimes we find challenges, okay? Chapter 4 through chapter 6 contains practical instruction on how to walk out that revelation. Now, this is very important because this is what I'm going to talk about today. If you can't walk in chapters 4 through 6, chapters 1 through 3 won't help you much. 
Because you have to walk with real people that God joins you to, all right? So it's practical instruction on how to walk it out. I say it like this. You can't walk in the revelation of chapters 1 through 3 without walking in the reality of chapters 4 through 6. Hello? You got to walk with people as you walk with God. And this is where growth and maturity comes into play. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? I like to say it like this, okay? In chapter 4, the ideal of God's great cosmic plan through the church meets the real. That's you and me, all right? We walk out an eternal plan amongst an imperfect people. And this requires maturity. This, almost in a sense, we'll see it in a moment. The walking out in real life, in real everyday life with the people of God is a process God has that helps us mature. And as we mature, His glory gets displayed in the earth. I have no problem walking with the heavenly church. (laughs) But it's the church on earth that I have problems walking with. This is why Paul opens this chapter 4 and he, in the first verse he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he says, pursue your gift and your individual relationship with God. No, he doesn't say that. He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. If you're going to walk in the glory of chapters 1 through 3, you have to walk in the reality of chapters 4 through 6. And this process of walking in the reality is what God uses to grow us up and to mature us. Chapters 4 through 6 is very practical. It's not this highfalutin, just come to a meeting and have these great supernatural encounters, which we need, but it's walking in the real nitty-gritty of everyday life with people. Why does he say you need patience and tolerance for one another? (laughs) Because you're going to press it. But God uses that process to grow us up and mature us. I remember I was in a meeting years ago with the great Arthur Wallace, and he was, he was speaking on relationships and how God uses the church, and he, and he said this little poem that I thought was so classic. He, he said, could you hum? I need a little background noise. Just mm. He says, to dwell above with the saints in love. Oh, what bliss and glory. But to dwell below... With the saints I know, that's a completely different story. How many of you know that's true? Right now, I want you to look at the person you have the most challenge with right now. Look them in the eyes. Come on, make eye contact. Do it, do it. Don't look at me. You don't know me. The ones you know that you have challenge with. But in that process, that process of working and walking with the people that are challenging to you, That's how God gets at growth and maturity. You understand that? We had four daughters, and we've had several uh, people that have lived with us over the years. One thing I noticed, that firstborn, she was wonderful. But then the secondborn came along. And all this demonic manifestation started to happen. That sweet little girl that we were attending to her every need, now she's fighting with that girl. 
And now we're getting to see it in the grandchildren. You, how many of you have, have kids or grandkids? Now, how many of you remember that time when you had to walk into your kids and they were just playing so perfectly together? And they were sharing their toys. And you had to say, hey, grandpa's going to show you and dad's going to show you that, no, that's your toy. Mine. Okay, we're going to learn the word mine. Ready? One, two, three. Mine. No, no, take the toy, pull it away from your brother. Come on, right now say, mine. How many of you know you didn't have to teach that manifestation to your kids? Two words we never taught our kids they knew very well. No. How many of you... And mine. How many of you know that, that like they learned that somewhere? It just came out of nowhere. How many of you know the Bible says we're children? And there's lots of places in the New Testament where it talks about growing up. And we grow up in the context of family life with people. Hello? Are you with me on this? There's a deception to think I can grow and mature by myself. Give me my screen, give me my Bible apps, give me this, and I'm going to grow. No, you won't. You may gain some knowledge, but maturity isn't the knowledge. It's the application of the knowledge. Very important what I just said. It's not how much I know. It's how much what I know infects my life and causes me to walk serving the Lord in a different manner. Hello? A lot of people think, oh, I can, I can be mature just involved in the heavenly church. I don't really need to be around real people. No, you can't. You've got to, to come out of your immaturity. You have to walk with the people of God and learn how to share your toys. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Now, two important reasons we must walk together with his church in real life. Number one, you can't fully express, express the glory of God by yourself. I mean, you're wonderful and you're the apple of God's eye, but by yourself, you can only express a partial revelation of the glory of God. But there's a bunch of other people that together you can express it. But then secondly, which is what we're hitting on today, you need the process of walking with others' imperfections, their giftings, and their encouragement to mature. We must have it. The challenges that others bring, but then also the encouragement they bring. The difficulty and imperfections plus the giftedness of God. Those things, God pulls them together in like a maturity stew. And it's a wonderful thing. Now, I I don't like some of the ingredients in the maturity stew, but I need them. Hallelujah. (laughs) Think about this for a moment. What is maturity when you look in the Bible? I'm glad you asked that. Okay. Real quickly, just let me get, what is maturity? I look at it kind of like three things. The biblical manifestation of love, which is 1 Corinthians 13. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. The attitude of Christ you find in Philippians 2. He humbled himself. He wasn't looking out for his own interest. He was looking out for the interest of others. And then the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Patience, kindness, gentleness, forbearance. How many of you know those were all relational deals? Maturity is about being a responsible servant and brother and sister in the house of God. Where you learn to overcome your self-centeredness and your proneness towards selfishness and me. And learn how through Christ to serve and live for others. For the good of God through his people. And that's maturity. We grow up. I can seem very mature when I'm by myself. I mean, I pray. I'm a diligent prayer. I pray for over an hour first thing in the morning. And I can seem so perfect in that time. 
Oh, God is so, I flow in. Oh, oh man, I just had an hour of prayer. God is so good. And then all of a sudden I have to deal with someone. <laughs> and then it's like, what happened to that guy that was just praying? Why, why are you not showing the love of God towards that real life person? How many of you know that's true? So we need the process of walking together. Now in Ephesians 4, he describes this process and he talks about in chapter 11, he gave the, what we call the fivefold ministry, some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And then he comes in verse 14. The goal is, as a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love were to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. He's talking about this process in which only a few people do things in the church. No, he says every person is to be involved in growth and maturity in building up the body of Christ. I want you to know Christianity in church is not a spectator sport. It is a sport in which we are all involved in it. Does this make sense to you? Now, we've got a big problem. In, in, I know it's in the West. I, you may have it here. You know, one of the biggest problems to real growth and maturity is consumerism. Consumer Christianity. Consumer church. In consumer Christianity, they completely reverse the call of ministry, fivefold ministers. They say instead of the equipping of the saints so the saints can work, they say something like, it's for the entertainment of the saints, so the saints enjoy the corporate meeting experience. That's called consumerism. Consumerism is, is, it's not facilitating the glory of God being revealed, it's promoting self-centeredness. Are we, Steve, you're looking a little funny there, am I okay? I mean, I'm amazed how much consumerism is taking over our lives. With a click, you don't have to leave your house. You can get anything you want at your house. We have a daughter that lives outside of town. She orders everything online, groceries, everything. And she said, I think the postal guy hates me because he's coming to my house two times a day delivering things, stuff you used to have to actually go out of your house and buy. And that consumer mindset, I want it now, I want it fast, I want it easy, I want it quick. That's disruptive when you talk about a church in which everybody is involved in serving so that we all grow up and mature. Consumerism can be very challenging to the church. Are you hearing me? I say it like this. When you talk about church, uh, the church is not a place to sit and get but it's a family called to serve as they become. That's the church. We're not here to just sit and get. In consumer Christianity, it's like, what's the show today? Entertain me. I want to feel better about myself. And if you don't do it, there's six other churches down the street. I'll find them. That's not Christianity according to the Bible. I say it like this. The church is not a spiritual theater. It's a gymnasium. I like to work out. I work out five, six days a week. And you know what? Many times people treat the church like it's a theater. 
I come here to sit in my chair and you need to entertain me. How many of you know if your kids had that mentality in your house, that wouldn't be good, would it? Can you imagine coming home from school and sitting in the chair? Okay, mom, dad, what are you doing tonight? What do you have for me tonight? Well, what do you mean? Uh, what's for supper? The Joneses down the street are having this. And the, and the, and the, the Reinhardts down the street, what? Like, oh, I'm sorry, can't use Jones. Okay. <laughs> but, but that was a prophetic word, by the way. No. But, but the Reinhardts down the street, they have entertainment tonight. They have a special speaker coming in and they're catering their food. What are you doing, mom and dad? What's for me today? How many of you know as a parent, you'd say, hey, wait a minute. This is a family. You're not coming here to be entertained. We're, get out of your chair. We're going to go, we got to go fix supper. But, but wait a minute. And by the way, these chairs are getting old. The starrets down the street, they've got vibrating chairs in their living room. What's the deal with these old things? I actually have to push myself to rock. This isn't a theater, folks. This is a gymnasium. The church is a place where we come, where every part exercises, so we grow up and become healthy and become mature and reveal the glory of God. Man, we don't want it. I, I get so frustrated. Steve, we're done at 10, 10 after, right? Okay, I got to be real Okay. But I, I like to work out. And when I go to the gym and people treat it like a theater, it bugs me. They go to their, now I've got OCC when it comes to working out. I'm moving around all the time, doing this and that. And it, it bothers me when people sit down, pull their phone out. And I said, are you going to use that or are you just going to sit on it? I, I'm nicer than that. I wouldn't be that rude. But if they sit there and it's like they haven't even done one set or repetition and they're scrolling their phone and then they're plugging. Oh it's like, wait, no, no, no. That machine won't do you any good unless you do something. You have to exercise. You have to get active to become healthy. The same is true in the church. We do not want to have a consumer mentality. You're not here to be entertained. This isn't a once a week movie. Hey, Steve, who's starring today? It's like, no, you're starring. Get up here. We're going to serve. Okay, I don't know anybody. I, I, maybe I'm making a mistake here. <laughs> but each one of us is helpful. I had an interesting conversation with a friend. Uh, uh, she had a daughter and, that had drifted away from the Lord, and now here she is in her 30s, and she's coming back to the things of God. And My friend was talking to her about, you know, the church isn't about just coming and setting and getting. No, we've, we've got to become active. It's about serving. It's about building up the body of Christ. And the daughter's coming back to the Lord. Well, they went to the beautician together, and the beautician was a Christian, and so the lady said, what's going on in your life? And she, she told the story. Well, I've been away from God. I'm starting to come back to God. You know, and, and the beautician's going, oh, honey, that's so good. That's so good. You need to come and check out my church. She said, it's so big, nobody even knows you're there. You can come and go and nobody cares. And you know what? I've never been asked one time to do anything. Come to my church. Her mother had just been talking to her about that before the thing. It's not a consumer experience, folks. I'll, I'll, okay, now I'm heading towards the end, all right? Just okay. Now what I want to do is I just want to end going quickly over seven steps that will help us get active in God's design for His house. Are you with me on this? Number one, seek God to have a heart towards His house. If you ever lack motivation, read the book of Ephesians. I do it very regularly. I've got most of it memorized now, so it's not as hard. But get back to God's design for his house, his heart for his house, not ours, okay? Number two, 
Break any non-biblical illusions about participation in God's plan. What do I mean by that? Oh, I'm part of the eternal church. I don't have to be a part of any real church. That's like saying, I'm part of the universal gym. The eternal gym. I don't have to actually go to the gym to get healthy. I'm part of the eternal gym. No, there's no eternal gym that's going to help you get healthy. You've got to go to the real gym and do real exercise. Hello? Come on. Okay, number, number three. Get connected relationally with his family. I don't know. I think you've got community groups here. Get involved in community groups. How are you going to serve people if you don't even know people? How are you going to help build up the body of Christ unless you're around the body of Christ? Hello? Get involved in a community group. The Bible is a relational book. It's about God's family. And you've got to be a part of the family to get moving to help build the family. Hello? Are you still with me? Just got seven. Number four, get busy serving. (laughs) What do I mean by that? I put up there, in the Bible, there are 59 one another's. The commands, one another. We used to have them on this thing called a piece of paper. They used to have them. It's, it's a thing. It's like made out of wood and stuff, and you write on it. We used to have these 59 things lift, listed on a refrigerator. So it's like if ever I thought, what do I do? I don't know what to do. It's like 59 things staring at you. Love one another. Serve each other. Encourage. Build up each other. If you want that, you can email me, and I'll send that to you. You may be dead. But get busy. You've got to get active to grow and mature. It'll, it'll help you with your self-centeredness. I know God's on my side, but I want to be on His side. I want to serve His people. All right? Number five. We just got seven, and then we'll turn it back, Steve. Number five. Have a healthy tension between your gifts and desires and household responsibilities. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we're charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, right? And so many people can get this strange idea that, well, I'm not gifted to do that. Oh, you're not gifted to serve somebody? No, well, not that gift. Can I just debunk that idea? The church is a family. How many of you know I'm not gifted to do everything I do as a father? I'm not gifted to take out the garbage. I'm not gifted to wash dishes. Can you imagine me sitting there and saying, well, I, I, I'm not gifted to do that. I'm a speaker. No, you're a fat family member. Get off your rear. Now, I mean, when I take the garbage out, it's like, I don't feel gifted to take the garbage out. God, would you please send somebody to do this? No. There's household chores. It's just not about me exercising my gifts. It's me exercising my responsibilities. And sometimes serving you, I, mean, I might not feel gifted that way. But I do it because it's the way that helps you and causes me to grow and mature. Hello? Yeah. Number six, seek Holy Spirit's filling through your interaction with the Lord and each other. You need the power of the Spirit to grow up and mature. You can't do it by yourself. And the Bible shows us in our interaction with one another. We need to keep full of the life and the Spirit. We see it in Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk with wine, which is in, in excess but be continually filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. We need to be seeking the fullness of God, even in our interactions. And then the last point, number seven, hallelujah, engage in everyday mission. As you're serving the body of Christ, you're out there on mission with God. As you do that, maturity happens. And it's a wonderful thing. Jesus sent us out with family members. How many of you know in the Bible, he sent them out two by two, the gospel and a a brother and sister. And we go out and we engage in mission. Can I tell you, we've got to get active and see the house of God is the place where we grow up, 
We mature, we help one another grow up and mature, and we go on mission to the earth every day in our neighborhoods as well as the nations. Amen? Amen. Can we say this? We want to grow up. I want, I want to end with this. One, one last thing. We have a company in the States that's gone bankrupt now, which I'm kind of glad. It was called Toys R Us. Do you remember that song of Toys R Us? Their theme song was this. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Now that's fine for Toys R Us, but they're bankrupt. But in the church, that should never be our attitude. We want to grow up. And we do it by laying our lives down and serving one another in the house of God every day as we engage in mission. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.